Welcome to the Hurricane Center podcast, produced by the Storm Science Network and part of the National Tropical Weather Conference. This podcast is made possible by USAA, the South Padre Island Convention and Tourist Bureau, and Plylock's Hurricane Clips. Thank you, Alex, and good morning, everybody. Welcome to NTWC Live for Wednesday, October the 19th. Good to see you today. It's a beautiful day where most of us are in Texas, and we'll let Mark Sedith tell us how nice it is where he is today as well. In just a couple of minutes, Mark Sedith, our guest today, along with, of course, uh, Dr. Hal Needham and Bill Reed. But before we get started, we've got to thank all the folks who make these programs a possibility, our sponsors, and there's a bunch of them, and in particular, USAA. They've really been strong helping the National Tropical Weather Conference for many, many years, and thanks to USAA for all they do for us. Also, the South Padre Island Convention and Visitors Bureau, the home of the National Tropical Weather Conference, South Padre Island. We'll be back there live in April. We hope you'll join us. Fly to South Padre and have a nice weekend of learning and fun, and it's just a good time there, so we hope you'll join us. The Weather Company, a part of what we do, Weatherboy, Walmart, the City of Brownsville, the Port of Brownsville, Black Magic Design, all part of the National Tropical Weather Conference, and thanks to each and every one of you for the work that y'all do, because you make this a possibility. Uh, Bill Reed, it's a beautiful day in South Texas. We, here in deep South Texas, we're cooler than the rest of you yesterday. We were 52 and raining, and the rest of Texas was warmer than that. How are things in uh, southeast Texas today, Bill? Gorgeous. Yeah, we didn't get out of the 60s here under full sun yesterday. And this morning it was 43 here at my house in northwest Galveston County. And uh, uh, first time in a long while we've been in the 40s. And uh, But quick turnaround, we'll be back to the to our uh, not-so-hot uh uh, lingering summer of 80s here before too long. I'm going to give you a quick overview because I think we're going to want to really see what Mark has to offer here. Get the uh, picture up there. Uh, here's the wide view of the Atlantic and the Pacific, Eastern Pacific. Uh, there is some weather out in the East Atlantic, but it's unorganized. Uh, pressures are relatively high. Uh, you can see a, a high pressure uh, swirl and what clouds there are west of it, and the westerly winds are impinging on it. Nothing's expected there. Caribbean is quiet, a little wave coming into Panama and Costa Rica, no issue there. And our big cold front that brought the nice weather uh, has made it all the way down to the edge of the Northwest Caribbean and well off the uh, East Coast. The area of interest is actually here off the uh, Mexican coast. Uh, For the Atlantic, there's uh, nothing expected the next five days. Our Eastern Pacific system has a 90% chance of developing in two days and, of course, in five days also. So it basically means any time now we might see development in that system. Uh, here's a close-up view on the satellite. Uh, uh, moist, unstable air is, is, is uh, totally involved in the area. I don't see any evidence of dry air intrusion on it. Uh, if you can look at the loop, you can kind of see uh, the lower clouds have some cyclonic turning uh, more or less centered on where the convection is. So uh, the hurricane center's uh, indication that this is uh, imminent for development uh, looks good from that point of view. Uh, the tra- they're starting to run the track models on them, and the, the, the guidance has it basically uh, uh, moving west and recurving as it gets closer to the westerlies and uh, 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 sometime early next week, perhaps having a landfall in either Sinaloa or Nayarit state on the uh, west coast of, of Mexico, which may actually play into the rain in the next front that comes through uh, uh, Texas. Uh, as far as intensity, the mo- uh, reliable models are, are uh, fairly uh, in, uh, in unison on bringing this up to a hurricane within uh, uh, 60 to 72 hours and maintaining hurricane strength uh, until landfall. And with that, I'm going to let uh, Hal introduce our guest this morning. Hey, good morning, everybody from Galveston, Texas. We're really excited to have Mark Suddeth with us this morning at the National Tropical Weather Conference. Mark, I think your presentations are often some of the uh, most engaging with our audience because of your great camera work. A lot of you know Mark Suddeth through his work with Hurricane Track uh, on YouTube, on HurricaneTrack.com, and all these different websites. Mark, you do great work, work getting out there before, during, and after the storm, and we're really excited to have you on the conference today. Well, it's good to be back. I'm actually up in Secaucus, New Jersey. I'm going to go into New York City after this and meet with the fine folks over at Fox Weather as we start to talk about next year. So out of um, North Carolina for a little bit, it's actually colder 
back in Wilmington this morning than it was up here in Secaucus. But uh, good to be here. I got a lot to show you guys. And um, uh, Ian was something else, that's for sure. Yeah, well, Mark, well, uh, safe travels there on your trip to New York. Let's talk a little bit about, Ian, we know you like to get out there really well before the storm even arrives so you can get cameras set up and everything. Talk about the days before Ian comes. I mean, did it feel different to you than other storms? We know west coast of Florida hasn't been hit as as much as other areas. People maybe were flat-footed. Did you notice any of that in the days leading up to the storm? Well, the days leading up to Ian were very stressful uh, from my side, certainly stressful for people in Florida. Don't want to minimize that at all. But I was tracking, as we all were, what was happening with Fiona. And Fiona first, you know, I think devastated is an appropriate word for Puerto Rico. And then it went on to threaten Bermuda. And then it looked like it was going to be a record-setting event for Nova Scotia. And I was actually planning on going to Nova Scotia, even <laughs> was planning on driving there and um, had driven all the way up to Philly. Then my partner from Colorado, Matt, he was like, why don't you fly, take a little bit of equipment, handle Fiona, that way we can be ready for Ian. It was just like this confluence of, you know, really we're just going to put the entire hurricane season in about a two to three week period. Okay, I guess so. Um, Now I bailed on going to Nova Scotia. I think that was smart. And so we were able to really focus on Ian and um, went back to North Carolina, gathered up a, a ton of equipment. Um, and took it down to Southwest Florida. But as we all thought early, it looked like it was going to be West Central Florida, the Tampa Bay area. Uh, But obviously that seemed to fairly quickly change as the track, the center line, got to focus on that, right? That the track at least was shifting South. And so our plans shifted South accordingly. And if I can share my screen, I do want to show you uh, the map here of what I was uh, planning on doing. So here's Florida, and our idea was to get out here, and let's get the Telestrator going, if it'll let me, and set up cameras. I wanted something in Key West. I knew from past events, Wilma, and even Ada back in 2020, um, when something comes off of Cuba, uh, you typically do get some action down here. So I wanted a live cam down at Key West at the southernmost point. They have a camera there permanently that's on YouTube. I wanted one right next to the buoy uh, or whatever that is and um, more at a street level. So we had somebody handle that for us, a gentleman, Marcel. You guys know Marcel from the conference. Uh, He came down from Boca and helped out. So Matt and I then focused on Marco Island, and then we knew we wanted stuff all uh, around basically southwest Florida because at this point, Tampa Bay – this is now Monday into Tuesday, seem to be out of play in terms of the major impacts that we were thinking could happen. So our big focus was going to be basically the Southwest Florida area. And if we zoom in on this, I can show you what we did. Um, Again, we had Key West down here. We had a camera in Marco, uh, went out and put one at Captiva. We had some cameras farther in along um, the Calusa Hatchie in Fort Myers. We had stuff in Cape Coral, had one in downtown Fort Myers, had a weather station, an anemometer camera system on the midpoint bridge in Fort Myers. And we focused on Punta Gorda, Port Charlotte, um, just blanketed this area through here with a dozen camera systems, two complete weather stations. That's an anemometer and a pressure sensor. And then we went up to Arcadia, uh, which doesn't show up on the map here. So let's zoom in a little bit more. I did want something inland, and I knew Arcadia was hit very hard by Charlie. So we put a a camera uh, in Arcadia, and then Matt and I went on up to Orlando to be safe. Uh, Stop sharing for a moment, just come back and kind of do some commentary. So we had a pretty good plan. Uh, Live cams and a couple GoPros. We didn't put out all the GoPros that we had, and I regret that because – I think one of the things that we've learned during the day Wednesday when when Ian made landfall, um, our cameras were doing really well. But then as the morning went on, we started losing connectivity. And the way these run um, is they use the local network. And in this case, for us, it's Verizon. And we started getting the the signals would drop. They'd come back on. And we used Nest Cams to stream. And uh, they try to reconnect. If, if there's a connection, those Nest Cams are going to reconnect until the end of time. 
and they were just in and out. And it was very frustrating. We weren't sure, like, is, is, is Verizon having issues? But we started seeing people on social media and, and our group that are some of our supporters that live in the area. They said, no, it's, you know, I'm on T-Mobile or I'm on AT&T. And it kind of started dawning on me, you know, I bet uh, that a lot of people didn't evacuate relatively and they all, they lost power as the winds came in. And so they lost their land-based internet, you know, their uh, fiber or their cable, whatever. And now they're using these and well, it doesn't, there it is. It's getting lost in the, um, the, the green screen, so to speak. They're using their mobile devices. And what does that do when, all of these people are using their mobile devices, plus all the media that are down there using live view and so forth. Um, it sucks the network down. That was at least my theory because, and I'm going to jump ahead here, once it got dark and the hurricane had come through and people were exhausted and they were whatever, you know, they went to bed, the network came back up and our cameras, some of them came back online some of them were underwater, streaming live underwater, which was remarkable. And I'll show you some of that in just a moment. But Mark, just to pause right there and to reiterate, to make sure, it sounds like what you're saying is when people lost power, maybe their laptops, their desktops, their tablets went offline. And so they turned to their, possibly yeah. turned to their mobile devices. And then all of a sudden people were using their mobile devices much more to stream internet. And that possibly slowed down the whole network. That's my belief. And yeah. yes, there were problems, I'm sure, you know, the land, the terrestrial networks are going to get impacted, but I had a lot of faith in the infrastructure of Southwest Florida, especially in the wake of Irma, um, that I thought it would do better. And I think if there was ever a way to get hold of a heat map and show how many people were on their phones during that time, I think it would be very telling. Mm -hmm. You remember that was done during the early days of the pandemic to kind of call out all the spring breakers in Southeast Florida and they showed these heat maps. Oh, look at all these youngsters down there just ruining everything for everybody. And, you know, I don't want to ruin stuff for people, but it'd be interesting to see how many people a heat map would show that were on their cell phones down there. And I think if you compared that, now look, the population area is vastly different. I get that. But like Mexico Beach and that area, yeah, I think there's like a couple dozen people. Granted, Southwest Florida is millions of people, I would assume. Mexico Beach is a couple thousand, you know, year round. It's different. But um, I think people stayed more than they should have. We've seen that with the results here with um, the, the deaths that we have seen. And I think that taxed, taxed the network more than had most people evacuated. And that's what I'm used to. We go into an area like Louisiana, and again, there's not all these areas that are just densely populated in Louisiana, but I think about Laura and Ida, you know, people left and the network was just free to do what it does. And um, we didn't have cameras dropping out. In fact, some of them would get knocked off. I remember for near landing, the camera box got knocked off the piling and floated around for three hours, still streaming. And it was on Verizon and it was amazing. Like, and we just, it's just one of those things. It's a, something we look back and we think, yeah. That has to have of, been a problem. A couple of you, you may have improved at night because all their batteries ran dead on their phones. True. And, uh, is there any way you can, uh, uh, if you thought at all about uh, trying to use the Starlink? Yes. Well, that's qualities. that's um, what I'm going to be talking about with okay. our media partner uh, in just a couple of hours over in the city. You know, yes, we're finally at the um, at the point where we can use Starlink. Uh, I don't know about mobile. That's going to be a little bit farther down the road, um, but uh, we're getting there. And so let me let me go back to the screen and um, share my screen. I'm going to show you uh, some examples of, of what we captured. Uh, it was a, a valiant effort. Uh, Matt was a huge help, uh, one of our supporters, and he comes out to give me a hand. And so let's just take a look. Um, let's see here. Fort Myers, I think that was our sort of big capture here. And I'm going to pause it so it doesn't get ahead of me. So this is down on, I think it's First Street, and we're looking back towards the west. Um, McGregor would be over to the left, another block. There is uh, Joe's Crab Shack, I guess it is, right there in the shot. Very tall 
condo complex, and the Caloosahatchee would be over here on the right. Uh, and there's a marina behind the camera. And um, so this is looking generally west to west, southwest. And this is south over here. And this is north over on this side. So that's your orientation. So this is early in the morning. Um, it's windy. The power is clearly still on. And the camera, this is very important, is seven feet above the sidewalk. And it is on a utility pole exactly like this one. These down here was a combination of wooden and concrete. Concrete's going to be important as I show you some other stuff. So this is what it looked like early in the day. And then we do this transition here. That's the surge that came in. And it was absolutely like exactly what was forecast, you know. Uh, and so Fort Myers flooded the Caloosahatchee, maybe even some golf uh, surge coming in. And then these giant pieces of debris come floating in. This is a, I thought it was concrete at first, but I was like, wait a minute. I may not have a degree in physics, but I know that concrete doesn't float necessarily. Um, but so I think this is a piece of floating dock and uh, it knocked the camera around, um, which actually was kind of helpful. You know, now we have a, a pan and uh, tilt zoom kind of deal uh, by, by, by way of that big piece of floating docks. So it, it moved the camera around on its axis, if you will, on the pole. And we can see this building across the street and it finally ends up um, facing up towards the on-ramp here to the bridge that goes out of Fort Myers. There's a Toyota 4Runner right there. There's the mast of a sailboat that's come out of the marina. And this is a nice little one-story building over here that uh, is halfway uh, submerged. A record storm surge, um, over seven feet, if I'm not mistaken. So that camera was, I think, our um, winner, so to speak, of the most surge, the most dramatic effects from surge in the area. Now, we had a camera, I'll stop share just for a second, on Captiva, and the eye went right over that camera, and there was just not much to show, much to my surprise. But then I thought, well, usually, and Bill, you guys know this, how when, when the eye comes right over, you usually don't get the surge there. It's to the right of where that eye is, and even the wind at the uh, Captiva site was not that prevalent, um, not what we saw during Michael. And remember, Ian approached Category 5 intensity for a little while there in the six hours before landfall, so I expected a lot more wind. Um, I don't think I put a um, Captiva shot in here. That's fine. There's just not much to show. Captiva is another one of those ones that was in and out um, throughout the morning and into the afternoon. And we lost it for a couple of hours. As So we got the eye, and it kind of calmed down. And there was some surge, a couple feet. And then the camera went out for a couple of hours. And then it came back on at night, right before dark. And we could see about three feet. It looks like about three feet of water. It looked very milky, almost a yellow color. It was very weird, almost like mustard. Um, probably a lot of sediment and just stuff in there. Um, and then all the trees on the left side of the shot were pretty much gone. Um, but there was not this bulldozing effect of storm surge. And that's really, really important because I'm going to go back to sharing my screen. And I want to show you something. This is what is remarkable about the situation here and why people can't gamble on they think they know best or they're going to wait or they're, you know, we talked about this before the, the show, some legend from the past. This is going to protect us. That's going to protect us. I don't pr trust the government, whatever. Let's just talk about something really important here. The camera for Captiva, let me zoom in here. So I want to make sure I get this exactly right. All right, so here's Sanibel right here. Matt and I drove out across the causeway Tuesday night, which, by the way, why? Like, in, all I'm saying is in North Carolina, even in Texas, that stuff's barricaded. You can't get out there, but whatever. Um, I mean, at least for us, it was nice because we could put our camera out there. But we went out here, the, the camera was set up um, about right in here, sort of the thickest part roughly of Captiva. Now, not far away, and let's just do, we got a little distance calculator on here, from roughly where the camera was to Fort Myers Beach as the crow flies is 12 miles. Fort Myers Beach, why do I bring that up? Well, first of all, we didn't put a camera there. 
That's that's wish I had, but we didn't. I don't know why. We just figured, hey, we got one on Captiva. We'll, we'll be good. But you know who did put a camera in Fort Myers Beach? A gentleman by the name of Max Olson. Uh, Max Olson chasing. Um, friend of mine, I met him during um, Laura, came up and introduced himself to me. And um, just a terrific guy. And he has started doing these remote cameras as well. We don't have the patent on it. It's not ours. Anybody can do it. And I think the more, the better. It's not a competition. We're trying to do uh, good. Oh, look at that. It's not going to work. That's frustrating. Um, let me just show you Max's video. That does work. So here's Max's video, 12 miles from where we had our camera at Captiva, where I'm telling you, we didn't have much to show. I mean, it just wasn't much at all. 12 miles away, this is what happens. And I don't know, we've probably seen this, but it's really, really incredible to understand um, that's just 12 miles, folks. And are you going to gamble? Like if you stayed in the building that was in my shot at Captiva, it had been a little hairy, a little, you know, oh, boy. If you had stayed in that building, you would have been washed away and thought you were going to die like the people that did stay in that building thought. Max has interviewed them. Uh, it's going to be on a little documentary he's putting together. Um, that is the difference in 12 miles from the center of the eye, because the center went right over Captiva, plus or minus a mile. 12 miles away, it's hell on earth. I mean, this really underscores, like, you just have to look at these warnings. And I know we're getting a little bit off topic here, but you can't gamble in just 12 miles. Look what happened. Look what happened in Fort Myers from our cam there. Water came up at least seven feet, you know, like, wow. So really hats off to Max. Um, and what he did, it was a similar camera to a GoPro, like what we put out. And this is going to help people. I hope, you know, you would have thought that our stuff from Mexico beach would have helped people. And, help me visualize and maybe some people look at this and they realize, yep, I'm not messing with that. And they just decide they're going to leave when told to do so, or if they just see the info, but I mean, it was a challenging event. Um, We uh, captured some uh, excellent pressure readings, uh, wind data. We're still trying to process it. We switched over to one second wind data. So we have a lot of data points we have to, to work through and different people working on it. Um, I do, uh, here's one little clip too. I want to show you, I go back to sharing my screen. Sorry, I forgot that I unshared or whatever. Um, While you're putting it up there, I'll, let me put this up to you there. The, I'm looking at the orientation of those islands and Captiva is lined up north, south. The eye of the storm came right over it. The, the big push of the wind and the, the, and the water driven by the wind would be uh, from the south and southwest. So uh, to me, it makes sense that maybe the, uh, did you have a camera in Sanibel by chance on the south nope. facing beaches? No, I sir. Just... Seen, I think you would have seen similar to what uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mike caught on uh, Fort Myers. Beach. Max, right. Where the the wind driven part of it would be. Yes. And that's, you know, the Monday morning quarterback kind of deal, whatever we go back and we covered a large area. And, you know, believe me, we've thought about that more, 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 more. And there's no such thing as, you know, we had too many cameras out for that event. I wish we didn't put as many out. Um, But, hey, thank goodness Max did because, and there's others too. Like I said, look, this is, it's not something that I own. I may have started it 17 years ago, but it's a big uh, coastline to cover. And the more, the better. Uh, I can see guys coordinating in the future so that you get the, distribution of the coverage you'd like. Yes. And, you know, and a repository, um, I know like a lot of people from FEMA uh, and uh, Cody over at National Hurricane Center Storm Surge Unit, Cody Fritz, uh, used to be uh, Taylor Trogdon that was there. We share this and it gets put into outreach and that's what it's for. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Here's one moment that I thought this was interesting. This is um, kind of near the eye, I guess, and the water is actually, strangely enough, coming in from this way, remember the Caloosahatchee is over here, but look what's coming. Uh, our, our fine men and women here that try to go and rescue people. Uh, we saw this live. I was like, what is that? Oh, it's a boat. Um, the, these were some uh, swift water rescue people, I guess, in the relative calm of the eye, because part of the eye came over Fort Myers. It's just, we saw that in Houston, by the way, during the flood. Um, 
Oh yeah, Harvey, the the boats going by uh, live on camera like that. It's it's a it's a very surreal uh, experience. I want to see if I can get this one video to work, and if it doesn't, I got a way that I can fake it. It was a Michael versus Ian video. I just don't know why. Oh yeah, there it is. Okay, so this is important. I'm glad it worked. All right, so um, for Michael, you know, we've had our camera at Mexico Beach. And disregard the timestamp over here. It says 11 a.m. This is just some video. I was doing a comparison here. So this is Michael at Mexico Beach and Max's video over in Fort Myers Beach. I'm just going to let this play through. It's a couple minutes. And then let's talk about it because it is remarkable. So you see both of them showing, yeah, it's pretty windy. Uh, not much surge coming in. There's a little bit of overwash. Uh, but Michael... Same kind of deal, right front quadrant, Max's video, right front quadrant, Fort Myers Beach. But Michael had a much more intense eye wall, clearly. And the surge came in all at once. Whereas with Ian, the surge came up in this montage that Max put together. It shows that. The violence of the surge in Michael on the left, the waves came in just tremendously violently but the surge level in Max's video is considerably higher and it's longer duration, just bulldozing wave after wave. This reminds me, and Bill, I think you would agree, of Katrina Gulfport. You know, that's what it would have looked like. There is some video that people got 17 years ago in Katrina, uh, Mike Tice and Jim Reed, good examples of that and others. But what Max captured, I think, really shows the power of the Gulf with a shallow shelf. Off of Mexico Beach, you guys know, the shelf is steeper there. And so the surge has to really get up. And then those waves get driven in kind of at the last minute. And uh, Michael just had a different punch to it. And I think comparing the two is very important because people will say, oh, I survived this. I went through that. No two hurricanes are alike. These are very similar in intensity. Yes, Michael was operationally a little stronger. And its eye wall was better organized, but this is the right front quadrant of two major hurricanes. Both of them produced a significant surge. One of them, when they're both unsurvivable, honestly, but I think that comparison is very, very important going forward, both from the science, what we can extract from it to see how things happen. Look, there's a building going across the shot in Michael. Max caught a building going across his shot the same way. The surge retreats in both shots differently. It's very, very fast the way it retreated in Michael, a much slower process, and Ian on the right. And, I mean, what an amazing use of technology. And, again, applause here to Max for, uh, for taking what we've been doing and, and advancing it. That's Like I said, I don't own it. I love it. It's fantastic, especially when I, I can't do everything. I'm just one guy trying to do what we can with what we got. I'm very happy uh, that we get to see that because I think it could help understand how these things happen and maybe drill it into some people next time around, wherever it may be, you know, um, Surfside Beach down in your neck of the woods. Are people going to take things seriously? Well, Ike, I'm supposed to be this or that. I'm not going to worry about so-and-so. Well, show them that because I think that's what the surge could look like at Surfside Beach. you got a pretty shallow coast down there, the shelf you know, wherever, yeah. right? So good stuff, good stuff yeah. for the science going forward. Yeah, Surfside and probably the, the last big surge there with Windridden would have been Carla. Right. That's, That's probably, a long time probably ago. probably less than one person in Surfside now that was, was among the living back then. So the, the, the personal memories lost on that one. Mark, really interesting, this whole concept of getting a direct hit. Like where I live in Galveston Island, people will say Ike was a direct hit. The eye came right over us. And right. scientists will say it would have been much worse if the eye was 10 to 15 miles south. You know, I really loved how you marked up those maps. You showed Captiva. Where I was in Punta Gorda, we were expecting a big surge. The eye came right over us. We did not get any surge. So, But people will say we got a direct hit. The eye came over us. Your, your cameras are showing if you're just offset from that eye, just 12 miles like you showed, you're actually getting much worse conditions than if you were in the eye. And to Bill's point, it's not just 12 miles. Sanibel was just a few miles down the same road. Parts of it were swept clean. 
that's just a few miles. Maybe you know? three, four miles. Yeah. Right. And I mean, like you cannot bank on that kind of a decision. And again, we're getting into social science here, but you know, and when we finally put together for the conferences next year, oh wow! Like when we really aggregate all of this into a nice TED Talk quality set of graphics and maps, and everything's all laid out, it'll really bring this home. And you're exactly right, Hal. We had cameras in Punta Gorda. We had one at the marina, right there at the marina. There's all these boats in the shot. I thought, oh, that 12 to 18 feet is going to come in there. And the camera was up at about nine feet. It's going to be incredible. The eye came over. You can see it turning in the shot. And that was it. No surge. Mark, in your Punta Gorda camera, when the eye was overplaced, you didn't see the picture of a tall guy walking around on the harbor mud during the eye passage, did you? That uh, may or may not have looked like me. I, 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 could you could you edit that out, perhaps? You were down at the marina? <laughs> uh, pretty close. I actually went during the eye. We had a good forty-five minutes to an yeah. hour. I went actually went down there. I mean, the boats were sideways because they were the, the the harbor had drained. There were fish flopping around on dry ground, and the boats were sideways on dry ground. And um, so I, I, I was down there walking around, and then I realized I have about 15 minutes till the other eye wall comes, so I quick got back to the parking garage. But uh, very cool that you had such a, a wide range of, uh, of cameras there. I wanted to ask you as well, you talked about Naples. You know, sometimes it's really interesting to see what's happening when the eye passes. It's interesting to see from the eye wall, but it's also interesting to see a little bit farther uh, away from the eye, because sometimes people really underestimate the extent of hurricane winds, the extent of these large wind fields, and the extent down the coast of mm-hmm. storm surge. I know you spent time in Naples. Did you have cameras down there as well? So we had a camera at Marco Island, and let me see if I put that in the folder. I might have. Um, Just out of curiosity, while you're looking at that, what was the highest wind you observed on your uh, two with the weather station on them? Um, so far, we're thinking, and because we, we have to go through it, it's every second, and we got to get our averages. Um, it looks like our average one-minute peak was 88 miles per hour, but we're not completely sure yet. There was, it's complicated, as they say. There's data on the Raspberry Pi that is complete, but the data that was getting transmitted because of these intermittent outages, it's got holes in it. And the gentleman that's going to analyze the data off the Raspberry Pi has had some family issues, and so he hasn't been able to get into it yet. We're working on it, and we will see. Uh, We did have one at exit 170 as well, where we were. That's I-75, where we were for Hurricane Charlie, ironically enough, um, where I uttered the words, the F, if I will ever do this again, meaning I'm not going to sit in an SUV in the eye wall of a Category 4, and I haven't. Um, since 18 years ago. So we had an anemometer there, but that anemometer apparently had mechanical problems. I mean, it's always something, right? It's like, that's why I'm so glad Max had a camera at Fort Myers Beach. If it's not, you know, oh, well, we can't cover everything. And look, just a tangent here. That's why, too, we're glad to see there's research projects going on from, you know, uh, University of Florida and uh, what Dr. Forrest Masters and Dr. Ryan Miris, a colleague of mine, all these other people that are doing it, you know, the right way with towers and whatever, you can never have enough data. There's, there's, there's holes everywhere. Um, so stay tuned once we parse this data out uh, from the midpoint bridge. Oh, I do have, let me show you what that looked like, by the way. Sorry, let's get to the, to the screen share again. Um, so the midpoint bridge in Fort Myers. This is really exciting here because of what we can see, not just the weather station. And by the way, do you guys remember that we lost our weather stations during Ida? They blew off um, uh, the uh, bridge in uh, Homa and uh, the 310 bridge there, the hail bogs coming out of New Orleans. They both blew off. And they blew off because these T-screws that hold these on right there, they unscrewed themselves because the anemometer created this harmonic resonance, um, you know, like airplanes flying, you know, it makes the bolts come out, right? That vibration, but it's almost like a musical note. Well, if you look real closely, these little guys right here, those are zip ties. And that's all it took was 99 cent zip ties. You screw holes in the T-screws 
And once you tighten them down, you zip tie them together, and they oppose each other, we didn't lose our anemometers, none of them. Yay, so we had some good victories. But, well, look, what I want to show you, and let me speed this video up. I'll use the scroll. That's the Caloosahatchee. Look at that. That looks like the North Atlantic or the North Sea in a massive storm. And that is the storm surge. That is it. Like, that is remarkable. Those are massive waves. There's huge pieces of debris, probably houses and boats, hopefully no people. That would be horrible. But let's just go back and look at that. That is the surge coming up the Caloosahatchee. Absolutely remarkable that our camera was able to capture that. I mean, just a couple spots where it's clear. Incredible. Um, so, yeah, we'll be uh, trying to uh, get that wind data. We didn't know that the lowest pressure that we got, let me just look it up real quick. I think it was 952.1 at our camera at um, Punta Gorda on this canal. In fact, I can show you that real quick. I put this on Twitter the other day. Um, Hal, this is a great example. This is the canal over um, near the Ponce de Leon Park. It's just up from there. We're looking north. And uh, this is the front side of Ian, and uh, we're waiting for that surge. This camera, by the way, stayed up the entire time. We had only a little bit of signal loss. Maybe more people evacuated from that area. I don't know, but we, we captured all of this. Um, and this is nest footage, so it was good. It was 1080, uh, no GoPro there, and the camera stayed up the whole time. So the front side comes through, kind of drains everything out uh, from this point of view anyway. And then the eye comes over. You'll see the eye come over. This is really, really neat. It kind of slows down. The eye comes right over. It wasn't clear, but you can see the eye right there. And then the wind switches. And then the water starts coming. I thought, oh, here we go. But it just didn't do it, which is great because look at that wind. The wind was bad enough. You see that boat break loose and fly through there. Um, But the surge never materialized. And uh, the video ends here. actually show a couple of clips in real time. Um, with audio, the audio may or may not come through. It doesn't matter. So this is the eye. This is where Hal's walking around out in the mud somewhere, right? <laughs> uh, you really did that, Hal? That's I. Did, I don't know if I do it again. I, I did know I had a little time, but on the back half, the second half of the eye wall was the worst winds we saw by far. Yeah, and there it is. That's yeah, that back it half. hit hard. Yeah, very hard. But the surge didn't come with it, and there's that boat that that broke loose. And so you know, again. Uh, unshare, go back to us. So you're in Punta Gorda, Charlotte Harbor, and there was a uh, 12 to 18 foot surge predicted or whatever, and it didn't happen. So what happens when it does happen one day? You know what I mean? And, and like, again, that's just a few miles, you know, 20 miles, whatever it is from where uh, unimaginable storm surge happened. And we covered it tremendously and just no surge. Mark, in Punta Gorda, there were a lot of people in low-lying houses that did not evac, and they were, had that storm been, I don't know, maybe seven, eight miles farther to the west, I think they could have gotten a huge surge in there. I was reminded, too, in this storm, I talked to people that said, should my daughter evacuate? She's not near the beach, she, but she's right near the Caloosahatchee River, you know, and just how people forget that surge doesn't care if you're at the beach right. or not. I love that camera that you show the, the waves coming up the river. And, and a lot of people, I think, in the Riverside area got flooded by heavy rain, but also that surge going up river, up the bays, up the harbors. It, it, people often get blindsided by how far inland storm surge will travel. So that's a good point. I'm going to go back one more time to screen share because I want to show you uh, a past event that really brought that home. Um, this is, let's see, I think it's over here in the old... Let me find it. Bear with me. It's got to be here somewhere. I was going to try to find my Florence stuff from New Bern. Um, yeah, Mark, while you're looking for that, I, w- I was shocked in the, my Hurricane Ike field work to see storm surge as far north as I-10 in Louisiana. I mean, there were right. places 20, 24, 25 miles from the Gulf and there's storm surge. So that's something for our listeners here to keep in mind. You don't have to be at the beach to get the impacts of storm surge. You can go pretty far inland. Well, and here we'll just show Ida from last year as a reminder. This is the lake, Lake Pontchartrain, for goodness sakes. And, you know, this is just one of the shots. 
Um, it got really, really bad later on, as we remember. Um, here's another example. And this is the lake. This is not down at the Gulf of Mexico. This is Lake Pontchartrain, for goodness sakes. And um, you know, storm surge is so hard to understand unless you've been through it. And I think that's Ian was another big reminder of that. I think that's the key. We learn over and over again the people that best prepare are the ones that have already been through Armageddon. Right. Uh, we had uh, Galveston Bay. We, the island people seem to be fairly aware of what's going on when a hurricane approaches. And so, as you go up the bay and talk to people in the communities there, they're almost staring you in disbelief when you show the the, uh, the 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 possible inundation maps. What could what could flood in the storm surge? They don't believe you. They say we're not. We're twenty five miles from the coast. What do you mean we can flood here? It's we well, are eight feet above sea level. That's how come. Right. Well, you asked me, Hal, about um, Naples and, and Collier. We did have a cam down at Marco Island, and it, uh, we set that up the very first one after Key West. It was we, Like I said, we had breakfast at first watch in Naples Tuesday morning, which blew my mind, like, oh, it's open? Great, good for us, but, uh, you know, probably shouldn't be open, but story for another day, right? Um, and we left there, and we drove down to Marco. I've been there before, Wilma. In 2005, um, Faye, 2008, you know, Ada, I think we had something there in 2020. And I knew the spot down at the Caxambus boat ramp. There's a park and there's a palm tree there that's been through all that. And we just put the camera box on the palm tree. And um, that was a good nine, 10 feet above the deck. And uh, Wednesday morning, the surge came in and it really was like, oh, wow, here we go. I mean, it was more than I had ever seen in any of the past stuff, even Wilma. And the camera went offline. I was like, oh, well, it'll come back. There's probably a, a network issue. It'll come back. You know what happened? And then, look, I, I don't like stuff happens. We went back. We retrieved it last week. And I opened the box. We do our forensics. All right, what happened? Did I not plug something in? You know, is it my fault? Is it the network? Somehow water was able to get into the box. Even these sealed cases, the water will seep in. Water finds a way. People know this. And the battery pack was facing down, so the little terminals got that water in there, and it just shorted everything out. Had I put the battery pack facing up, vertical, well, they're vertical anyway, but the terminals up, it would have kept going all day. It's like, yeah. So, you know, mental mistakes like that, but that's why we have to have these GoPros out there with every single camera system, no matter what, to back them up. Um, I had too much reliance on the network and there's a lot of stress out there. You know how. I mean, there's yeah, so much Mark, going I, have a, on. I have a question to you. Do you ever retrieve cameras and find that they went offline, but they did record the footage that you can still download later? Right. So the Nest cams do that in the cloud. So if they are streaming, they are recording in the cloud. Even a couple of bits, two seconds, three seconds, five seconds, we can get that. And it shows up on my little timeline in my Nest account as like little strips of data. It's really amazing. The GoPros, and that's what Max set up, record as long as, you know, there's still some human error or just, you know, gremlins, right? But those are generally infallible. If they work, they work. And so it's my responsibility. We've done, you know, Michael was a huge success because we had GoPros everywhere. Uh, and that's four years ago. We had enough GoPros for this one, but I was too just confident that the network would stay up. It was a daytime landfall. We probably don't need as many GoPros for this. It's hardened area. It's southwest Florida, very uh, affluent. The network's going to be incredible. People will have evacuated. Well, I was wrong. So to answer your question, it's the GoPros that must record when the network goes down because they do make cameras that have a chip in them, um, other security type cameras, but not Nest. And so it's it's us it's up to us to to put these GoPros out there, uh, and we've got them set up as as Max did to well they will they will run more than twenty four hours on a high capacity chip. It's just a matter of doing it, putting the effort in, a little bit of money, and then you got to hope that they're there. Max got lucky; he put his on a concrete pillar. I told you I'd come back to that. That's what he did, a, a, a light pole. Some of them are concrete down in Florida, as you know, and he, he chose the right one. The one that I chose in Mexico Beach was wooden, 
And we just got lucky, lucky that that thing didn't get bulldozed or clipped by those category four or five wins and that surge right at point blank range. A lot of it comes down to luck. Mark, another technology question. What's the advantage of a Nest Cam over a GoPro? Why not just do all GoPros? Or is, is a Nest footage just higher quality footage? Or is it the fact that it's going right to the cloud? Or what's the advantage of that, the Nest? So it's, it's flipped. The, the GoPros, we can record up to 4K. Um, but the advantage of the Nest is it's live. And that's what we started to brag a little bit. Um, I began this in 2005. was the first person in the history of mankind to ever do, ever do this. And I mean, that's true. You know, that like, is it going to be in some textbook somewhere? No, I don't care. But we did it. We started it in 2005 with these giant boxes with huge batteries and a laptop to use Windows Media Encoder and a little bullet cam. And it was like a tiny little screen and it barely worked, but it worked. The point was Max Mayfield would not get behind going into Hurricane's own purpose unless we had a way to send that video back. He said, I can get behind something like that. Steve Lyons used to be at the Hurricane Center and then at the Weather Channel. Same kind of thing. Like, we need a way to see what's happening at ground zero without putting people in harm's way. And we solved that problem in 2005, and it's just gotten better and better. So to answer your question, the Nest Cams are durable, hardy, uh, they can go underwater and they stream live. If they have even the slightest signal, they will stream. Even if it looks grainy and crappy, it's better than nothing. So those are live. And then the GoPros are supposed to back that up as high as 4K resolution. And we're just going to put a cam. Uh, there's going to be a Nest and a GoPro. And that's what we did at Mexico Beach, by the way. We got that right. We had the live cam there the night before, Michael. And then it was the morning of landfall that someone from the National Hurricane Center said, you might want to put a GoPro over there if you can. And we drove to the beach real quick from uh, Panama City, set the GoPro up real fast and got the heck out of there. And you know the rest. Mark, the work you're doing really benefits a lot of people, not only the scientific community, but also uh, just for public outreach, for people trying to do forensics afterwards, pieces mm-hmm. together, insurance industry, all kinds of people benefit from this. Do you ever get pushback from people when you're in the field? Like, hey, what are you doing there? What You know, because you have to mount this this somewhere, right? And and right. you're trying to find a place that has good visuals. Like you said, it's, it's a durable thing. Do you ever get pushback? Because you're really doing a great benefit, even for the people that live there locally, that may not realize when they come to their insurance claim and wind insurance is fighting against flood insurance, your camera may actually tell the story that helps resolve this a lot sooner. And that actually happened for uh, Mexico Beach. Um, We worked with a couple of law firms because people were getting denied that it was all surge. And in the early video of the Mexico Beach footage, you see Toucan's restaurant shred from wind and there's not even any run up yet from the waves. And so it has worked in the favor of property owners Um, But in terms of uh, working to get these set up, um, more and more through social media, we get permission from people to let us use their house, their balcony. Um, But everywhere else, it's just a public area, a utility pole, um, you know, the the side of a bridge. And everything we do is we don't leave anything behind. We don't nail anything in. We don't screw anything in. There's nothing left that's going to hamper any kind of recovery effort. It doesn't get in the way. And all of our boxes are labeled. Um, you know, what is this box? It says that. What is this box? Question mark. And a very short answer. It is a weather observation tool. Please do not touch. And it's got our email on there. Um, and you know, you know, sometimes people give us strange looks. Sometimes we see very weird things on those cameras that people do. Um, some of those I have shared. Some of them I, I can't because... You go, okay, that's really weird. Um, All I'll say is during ADA, when we had one at the southernmost point for ADA in November of 2020, um, people do weird things at the southernmost point at 2 o'clock in the morning. We'll just leave it at that. (laughs) You can just imagine. Let me jump in, guys. We're getting some great questions online, so let me jump in and and ask a couple of them. And and the first comes from one of your helpers out there, Mark Marcel. He wants you to – relate the story about I-75 and the police and a flipped over truck that he had to tell? Yes. Um, So he was out. uh, He went down to Arcadia and kind of rode out the remnants of the eye wall there towards dark. And then he was going to go pick up some of our equipment for us 
so we could get up into South Carolina. And if I remember correctly, um, the police, and he had a truck he was using from a company that he works for as a consultant. Um, and somebody with the law enforcement, I guess a truck had flipped over and he needed to go and he assisted to help with lights and just like, was there a body? Like they didn't know. And um, so you run across some very uh, harrowing things sometimes out in the field. Um, I mean, and, and, you know, and Marcel, by the way, was just like him going down to Key West for us Monday uh, from Boca. We took him to Cheesecake Factory ahead of time to, hey, come on, yeah, help us out there. But he placed that camera exactly right. And we were able to see that surge come in, and uh, which was a record. Another record surge down there was captured by that camera. So big round of applause to Marcel for helping. That's teamwork. We appreciate it. Helped us be a little bit more rested. Because how will tell you, I mean, you got to have all the rest you need for this stuff. Sleep is our biggest enemy other than traffic and other people. I can deal with the hurricane. You know, it's the people and the traffic and sleep deprivation. Casper is asking what the farthest camera up the Caloosahatchee River you had was. He had credible reports of the Franklin locks being over top. Did you have anything that far up? So let me share a screen real quick, and I'll show you where we had one. Go back to the map, hopefully, if it'll let me. Yep. Um, so we had one pretty far north. Uh, let's see if these are on there still. Sometimes we archive these past. No, we don't have them on there. Um, we had one past downtown. I think it was like up which side of the river? Fairly far north. And I don't know exactly where. My apologies. I could you know find that and share it on Twitter. Um, and that camera, uh, if Matt's watching, Matt's probably screaming. It's, it's a friend of his named Allison. Uh, her and her husband, Augie, uh, let us use uh, a dock back on there. Um, you know what? Let me just give me a second because I can look up the, uh, the uh, geotag in the phone. I'll tell you exactly where it was because this is important because the camera was underwater that night. It came back online, and I was like, what? And it was actually underwater, uh, and the camera was six feet above the water. It was on a dock. Here we go. The answer is, it was at, um, so right off on the north side of the Caloosahatchee, south of 78, near the upriver RV resort, uh, right off of Thompson Cutoff at Carolyn Lane. Um, There's a little area off the river that kind of comes back there. There's a little dock and a nice little neighborhood back there. And the camera was six feet above the water, looking over at some houses along the bank. And then when we looked at it about 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, like I said, the signal came back up. The camera was actually underwater. You could see, like, I mean, it was underwater. I couldn't believe it. And we would get these little bits of, in, uh, of data coming in. So the, the water rose at least six feet. And we know, too, from Matt's friends that the water almost got into their house, which is about an eighth of a mile away. Uh, and their house is elevated. It was like just a few inches from entering their home. So that surge obviously made it well up that river. We got a lot to show in the conferences next year. That is for sure. <laughs> Looking forward to that. That's for sure. Um, you know, James and how you met James when you were down there. Um, he's asking how we can really improve this message about how dangerous the storm surge is. And and to me, the answer to the question is just showing the videos that you have that Max has and getting those out to, to, to the to the public, to the to the masses, saying this is what can happen. And that's why the work you're doing is so important, no Mark. Yeah. Kind of think of maybe you guys could chime in on what you think. I always thought it'd be useful to, to, uh, for in those communities to, to get, uh, firsthand stories recorded oral histories out of people that, that stayed there and wish they hadn't. It's very, to those are very dramatic stories. Of your real life situation. What happened with somebody that lives in this area? Well, how that's kind of what you're doing with your, you did some of that with your podcast, didn't you? Yeah, we did. And, you know, interacting with people, so many people said we heard the storm surge forecast, but just couldn't believe that there was going to be 9, 10, 12, 11 feet of salt water above ground. Also, just people don't have a frame of reference. I mean, they've. 
Uh-oh, Hal's frozen. Looks like we froze up, Hal. Um, but but in your in your podcast, you made a good point, and hopefully we get Hal back here about, yeah, people don't have a frame of reference. They don't, you know, they haven't been through this before. Okay, yeah. you're back, Hal. That's what, I was, that's what I was thinking about. If you have a, a nice video of what somebody went through, showing how that impact worked, and then you get somewhere else an impact. Here's what happens when a storm surge comes in, and, and hear a real person telling what's going on with it rather than just the raw numbers, I think might have more impact. Yeah, the video presentation for sure. I mean, that's just so powerful. Most people are going to see that and say, I don't want to be anywhere near that. But again, it's outside of people's frame of reference. And when people think of deep water, they're trying to think of something familiar, maybe like the deep end of a swimming pool. Mark, your videos, Max's videos, these videos coming in, that doesn't look anything like the deep end of a swimming pool at eight feet. I mean, this is like you're in the middle of the ocean. People, I've lived here 30 years, I've never seen anything like that. And that's the thing, these events are so rare for any one geographic location. But once people see what it's all about, I think these videos could help save lives. Hopefully, you know, but uh, I think people still think, oh, that was somewhere else, it's not going to happen to me. You know, there's a lot that goes into this. The social scientists that work on this from the weather service perspective, from universities and and whatever. I mean, it is a giant problem to have to tackle. That is for sure. And I I don't know what the solution is. We just keep trying to do the best we can and kind of hope for the best. You know, certainly not giving up, but it is the problem gets bigger every year because people keep moving into these hurricane prone areas. That yeah, is for sure. the studies of evacuation, even when all the decisions and the forecast is right on, a decision-making is done correctly and on time, uh, a, a typical evacuation has about a 70% compliance in the mandatory. Now, so you get a highly populated area like uh, southwest Florida, that's easily 100,000 or more people if you had a, a good evacuation still mm-hmm. in the threat zone. Yeah, I mean – where to take stuff like the cone, the surge graphics, it, like there's so much info that it almost comes down to the old stories of um, the, uh, gosh, I'm forgetting his name, right, Isaac, Isaac Klein, the Klein, you know, running up and down the beach on a horse, telling people they got to go. And I thought about that. Had we seen residents you know, on Captiva, Matt and I were going to stop and tell them, you got to leave. You know, we did see the fire department. They were still there Tuesday night. Um, and I think Hal and uh, his work, I know others have done that. They've actually told people they need to go. A couple of my colleagues, Greg Nordstrom has done that. Um, but, you know, short of, you know, you're like a lunatic out there. You got to leave. They get bullhorns. Or like, I don't know. I mean, like I said, the problem just is it's getting bigger every day because people are moving into these areas and they have zero hurricane experience. You remember the, the late great John Hope said, until you've experienced a major hurricane, you really have no idea what it's all about. And, you know, even with the best video, the best augmented reality, until it happens to you, it's still just something somebody's saying could happen. It's just probabilistic. Gentlemen, we're up on on the clock. It's eleven o'clock almost, one minute till. So can't say thank you enough, Mark. You know the the the, the pioneer in this side of the industry, really. You know, as you mentioned, the, the first person to do this, the first person to get that information out there, and others are doing it now. You know, Bill Gray was the first to issue a seasonal forecast, and right. now there's lots and lots and lots of people doing that. But somebody has to start somewhere. Well, I want and, to thank Max for loaning the video over to be able to show that, and for his work. I know the backstory of what he had to do to get there, and he was tired too. And and seriously, hats off to Max and his partner that helped out. Um, what a great thing. And so appreciate Max Olson and Max Olson Chasing for lending the video to today's conference. I think nothing you know in our industry that, that we're trying to do preparedness will prepare people more than showing them those videos. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, when you see that, you go, holy crap, this is bad. For real. You know? That's and, real. and it's real. And anybody that lives on the coast, you just get one view of that and you go, you know, th- I think I need to act next time around. So, Mark, great program today. Really appreciate it. Um, Hal, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? 
Mark, I just really respect and love this field work you're doing. It's hard to get out there, and I think this is going to help a ton of people. So just keep up the great work. And a quick shout-out, this weekend we have NTWC Live right here in Galveston, especially for our friends in Texas and Louisiana that are more drivable. It's going to be sunny in 81. We're going to have a conference session live from 3.30 to 5 p.m., and then we're going to take a little break for Oktoberfest, have some beer and bratwurst, and then we're going to have a free hurricane tour in the evening for uh, people that participate in the conference. So hope to see as many people as we could live on Saturday afternoon. Terrific, Hal. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, great as always, Mark. I, I, I admire your work, and uh, just so I don't have to see you wanting to plant a camera in front of my house. Yes, <laughs> I hear that often. <laughs> Agreed on all accounts. Again, Hal, thank you, Hal, thank you, Bill. Thank you, and Mark, of course, thank you for all the work you do. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors who make this event a possibility, USAA, the South Padre Island Convention and Visitor Bureau, the Weather Company, Weather Boy, Walmart, the City of Brownsville, Black Magic Design, and the Port of Brownsville. They're the ones that make these meetings a possibility, make this information, uh, make it so we can get it out there for folks to, to see it and know what's going on. Alex, thanks back at home base. We appreciate all that you do. And that's it for today. Hope you can join us if you're in the Galveston area on Saturday. Otherwise, we'll be back here next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Y'all take care. Bye. Loved what you've heard on this week's episode? Well, well, the answer is simple. It would mean the world to us if you could head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review and feedback. Spreading the word really is the best way to grow our podcast and achieve even greater things. Thank you. Thank you.